he's got to be the person who I'm paying the most attention to right now. When he speaks, I'm listening. When, when he publishes something, I'm reading it. When he does an interview, I'm listening to it. Um, you, there, there used to be somebody else at the top of my list, but it's changed in the last year. And I want to I wanna share with you what he's saying that's got my attention. And then in this episode, I'll actually, I actually want to play for you a um, maybe three, four, I don't know how long it is, a clip that I was listening to from him in an interview today. So let's, uh, let me introduce you to the guy who I'm the person who I'm listening to more than anybody else right now. And we'll do that in this episode. Leadership is the ability to facilitate movement in others toward a destination you can describe. I'm Russ Hill. I help build leaders. And this is the Culture Hacks Podcast. Welcome into the Culture Hacks Podcast. I'm Russ Hill. I, uh, I make my living working with leaders. I like to say, in fact, I think I just said it in the, <laughs> in the recorded intro, I like to help build leaders. You can't do it from the outside. It's got to be somebody who wants to do it um, for themselves. And your, 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 um, your leadership abilities, your leadership skills are only as, as strong, as sharp, as uh, as the amount of time you're putting into them and the needs of your people are constantly changing. I mean, that that's the whole subject of this book we're writing is I mean, there are four chapters on nothing but data, not like number after number after number, but stories and numbers and research, because we had we we being my the co-founder of Lone Rock Consulting, our firm and my co-author on the book, Jared Jones and I, we had some some observations, some theories based off of what people were telling us, clients. When you're in front of just a lot of leaders all the time in different organizations and different industries, you start hearing some of the same things. They're dealing with it over there and they're dealing with it over here. And and uh, so we had some observations, some theories, and then we went into the data. We're like, has anybody, has anybody got any numbers on this? Like, is there any hard, fast data? So we started digging and digging and digging. We're like, holy crud, look at all this data. And then we took those ideas and we, we started presenting them on whiteboards and flip charts in front of executives or in virtual meetings. And people were like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what we're experiencing. And, uh, and so my job is to share observations with leaders, help them, help them sharpen their skills because what your team needs today is entire, well, not entirely, like mostly different than what they needed two years ago. They have shifted, they have changed. COVID-19, and you can't have a global pandemic and send everybody home for a period of months and massively transform the, the world, the workforce, and not expect your employees to change. And so how are you adapting? What are you doing differently? Not because not you have to, not because you, you, your people are demanding it and you think that they're all, you know, it's a, it's a pain in the butt that they're this way. No, it's because that's the state of the workforce today. And it's what talented, the best skilled, the most in-demand employees want and need from their boss and their leaders. How are you adapting to that? That is my job. And wow, try fitting all that on a business card. <laughs> Anybody use business cards anymore, by the way? Um, hey, um, so... 
here's what I want to here's what I want to talk about in this episode. By the way, I just finished working out, leaving the gym, and I did not stop for a fountain drink. Like, do you want to just like I'll give you like three seconds here just to clap in your car or applaud on the treadmill or like say ah, that's incredible wherever you're. <laughs> okay, uh, give me some accolades for that. I will I will the next time I work out, but I'm not today because I got to go um, do something else. Okay. Um, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, then you are not a, uh, a faithful listener to this podcast every episode, which is okay, but then you just won't know what I meant. Okay, um, the person I'm paying the most attention to, I'm listening to the most. Now, this is outside of, um, obviously, like, like personal, like family members, religious leaders, the leader of the church that I've been a member of my whole life that I that I believe in, obviously I pay more attention. We call him a prophet. Um, just as in the Bible, there were prophets, Moses, Abraham, whatever. We believe there's still one on the earth. There always is one on the earth. And, um, and so I'm obviously paying a whole heck of a lot of attention and making adjustments in my life based on what he is saying and what on the people around me who I love dearly are saying. But outside of that, the person who I'm listening to the most right now is Naval Ravikant. And uh, you spell his first name like Naval, N-A-V-A-L, Naval, um, from India, Ravikant. And I'm not even sure how to, I know how to spell that if I had my keyboard out in front of me, but you'll figure it out. Um, and I've talked about him in other episodes, podcast episodes, but there's nobody who I'm listening to more than him. And I do not subscribe to, I don't agree with. I see the world differently than he does in numerous ways. He calls himself a spiritual person, but not religious. Doesn't believe in God, thinks this is it, make the most of your life, and then you come back uh, the next time around as a frog or you're dead forever. I, I don't know how that works, but obviously I feel very, very differently about about that. But um, who cares, right? That's my belief. He's got his, he's a smart dude, and uh, hopefully I've got some kind of wisdom somewhere. And, uh, and so there, there are things, and there are other things that he says that I'm like, yeah, not so much, but his, his, his comments on how, um, the way we work, there's a, um, there's a, in chapter, uh, chapter three, no, let's see, chapter one and chapter two, chapter two of the great resignation, our book that's coming out in just the next stinking few weeks when I'm recording this, like we're done, it's to the editor and just a final few things. And then it goes to the typesetter and then it's all about publishing it. We're talking to publicists right now. We're talking to website designers for the, uh, the page that, uh, that the site that's going to be around the book. Anyway, uh, in chapter two, I quote quite a bit. Um, chapter two is one of the ones that I wrote the first draft on. And I quote quite a bit from Naval Ravikant on there. I'm introducing him to executives around the world who are going to read this book. And, um, and, and I, I actually asked my, um, co-author, my, uh, my buddy, Jared Jones, did I, man, did I put too much of him in there? He's like, no, not at all. That like, people need to hear what he's saying. They, they can agree or disagree, but they need to hear what he's saying on this stuff. And, and so I, I subscribe to a lot of what he's saying about the fact that the way that we work today is totally flawed. This eight to five Monday through Friday thing is totally dumb. It's absolutely stupid. There's no reason we should be doing it. Bosses, I mean, if you're a manufacturing plant, retail outlet, all that kind of stuff, restaurant, well, they don't even work nine to five, but set hours and you have to be at the location. Obviously, those are exceptions, right? You can't work for TSA and go, yeah, I want a lot of flexibility and I want to come in when I want to and I don't work. No, 
That's a job that requires you at the security checkpoint for eight hours a day and sitting, taking a break for seven of them. <laughs> I'm just kidding, sort of. Anyway, if you if you work for TSA, my apologies, but most of your coworkers are just, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so um, there, there are exceptions, but for but for people who work based on who are paid for what's in their head rather than what they do with their hands, at least most of what they do is being paid for what's in their head, their ideas, their wisdom, their ability to design and create and build and develop that they should work whenever the crap they want to, because all I care about as a leader is their output. I don't care about their activity. I don't care how many hours a day. I don't care what time they come in. I don't care what time they leave. I don't care whether it's three days a week or five or seven. Now, there are some limitations to that. Like you can't never be in. And especially if we have a team with a lot of people working together, I need you to be available some of the hours that other people are available. I need you in the office some of the hours that other people and other departments are in the office. But you get to determine that. I'm not going to tell you, okay, our new back to office plan is three days a week and it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. No, it's not. Like that doesn't make any sense. That's called adult daycare and you're the principal, right? The bell will ring at eight and it will ring at five and act busy for the rest of the time you get recess at noon. We call it lunch. Uh Uh-uh. That just doesn't make any sense. And um, again, I'm giving I'm telling you what's in my mind. You can go, Russ, it doesn't work where we where we are. That's fine. You, you get to think about that. But Nabal Ravikant's one of those people who's really come on strong and he has the data and the thinking and the science behind it all. And so I just lean into him. But the, we, we are working. We, we transform. And I've talked about this in previous episodes. And, and my line of thinking on this is based upon disengagement and discontent that survey after survey after survey has shown in employee um, employee engagement surveys for 20 years and 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 we haven't fixed it like Gallup and these these employee engagement measurement companies have shown this have shown the same level of discontent on average across industry for 20 stinking years it's no different in 2021 than it was in 2010. Like it's the same average. And some companies go higher or lower and whatever. That's fine. But across and, and then why are people discontent? Why are they quitting their job? Why is there such a thing as a great resignation? And it's because the way you're asking me to work doesn't work. And Naval Ravikant's done a lot of a lot of thinking on that. And then and then his ideas about we we work, you know, the animal part of us. Um, the creature in us wants to do burst of activity and then rest. Like, how can somebody not, how can somebody say that's not true? Yeah, what I want to do is I want to work stinking way hard on this, give it my everything, crush the competitor, and then I want a month off. And I want to go to Tahiti. I've never been to Tahiti, but I heard it's cool. Okay, maybe Costa Rica or wherever. And I want to go there or Bondi Beach in in Australia, once they let Americans back in after COVID, I want to go there and I just want to take three weeks off. And then I want to come back and I want to crush it for two or three or four months. And I want to work on this project and advance it. And then I want to offer two weeks. And I want anybody to bother me. And I want to, di- di- I want to unplug. And then I want to come back and I want to crush it for five months. And then I want to disappear. 
And again, I know not everybody can do this. And certainly at the beginning of your career, unless you own the company, you figured out a way to do this. You, you got to You got to work your way toward that, pay your dues and get to that level. OK, but um, but I, I really appreciate what Naval is saying. Now, um, I'm going to play a clip here in a minute of something he said about happiness in an interview. I was out working in the yard today. And, uh, and, and it was a nice, um, 147 degrees with one little cloud over there in the sky today. Thank you cloud for giving me two minutes of shade in the middle of this Arizona heat still going strong in September. Um, while I was working on the yard and I was listening to an interview by, uh, with Naval and it was done like five, six, seven years ago, a two hour interview. And I listened to all two hours. I had a whole heck of a lot of yard work to do. And he said something about happiness and a few different things that I want to play the clip of. I'm, I'm going to get the recording of and play you like two minutes here, three minutes there. And then uh, and then in the uh, show notes, I'll put a link to the full interview. I don't remember who did the interview. I think it's Shane Parrish. I can't remember. But um, I'll give a link to the full interview if you want to listen to all two hours. I don't think you need to. But if you got a lot of yard work or a long road trip or whatever, um, trouble sleeping. I'll plug that that bad boy in, and I I think he he rambles a ton. Naval does in a lot of interviews, but it, you know what? When you're that brilliant and you think the way he does, you can ramble as much as you want, in my opinion. So I want you to listen to this clip on happiness. And before I before I cue it up, um, let me just add one more comment. Um, what you're gonna hear Naval say is, um, and 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 by the way, if you don't know who he is, I'll put a well, I don't have time to put links in the show notes for other crap. I used to, I don't anymore. Um, just look him up, Google him. He's uh, he owns um, or runs. He's CEO of an angel investor firm. He's created multiple companies. In my mind, he's a visionary. He's a thinker. He's somebody who really thinks creatively. He's brilliant. He's very smart, and he's got no agenda. He could care less if you agree. He's not selling anything. He doesn't sell books. He doesn't sell whatever. He just speaks. And so he's got like no agenda. Everybody's got an agenda, but no real agenda. No real ego on this. These are just things that. And, and he ticks everybody off by what he says. So I really, I really value what he says. Um, so that's kind of his background. So he's talking about happiness. And one of the things that he said to that, that stood out to me is he said, um, happiness is the absence of, and he said it so much better. You'll hear in a second um, when I play it, but he said it basically it's when your expectations are, are filled or you feel fulfilled. You're wanting nothing. You're satisfied with what you have now. In this moment, you can live now and not be preoccupied with, oh, gosh, I wish I had that. Holy crud, why are they doing that? Oh, my goodness, if only this. Like you're, you're, you're spending all of your energy thinking about what could be, what should be, what, the way you want it. And so you, you, you are in strong, you have strong need, strong desire because I don't have, I'm not satisfied with what I have. Now, part of that's good in competition and working hard and all of that, right? Don't have the body I want. So that's driving me to exercise harder. I'm not as healthy as I want. So I'm eating differently. I'm, I'm not as spiritual as I want. So I'm going to spend more time. I mean, that, all that's good, right? Or I, we, we, don't, we don't have enough market share. So I want more. That's good, but, but only to a certain point, right? And then it becomes unhealthy. And so I talked about this. There's uh, there's somebody that goes to church with me um, who talked about expectations a few months ago. And I did a podcast episode about it, about, you know, um, 
when we're unhappy, it's because we have expectations that aren't being met. And perhaps instead of focusing our energy on wishing someone or something would change and meet our expectation, perhaps what would lead to greater happiness or fulfillment is us changing the expectation. And and when this this person who lives in our area was saying this at church, I was like, man, it's so good. Like, I need to think about that. And I shared it in an episode. Naval is kind of I mean, that's kind of the same thing, right? When when you're wanting nothing, when you're satisfied with what you have. And I'm, I've been thinking a lot about that because I spend a lot of time wanting other things. And I'm in a much better place than I've ever been, but been from like a, a financial standpoint. Like I've realized, oh. I've got what I want. I've got what I need. And I, 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 of course I want more and I want to be more successful and all that, but like, it's not, I'm okay. And my family is, I like, I got what I want. I live in the area that I wanted to live in and I've got the kind of house. Yeah. I'd love it to be bigger or different. I'd love for there to be a lot less problems. I'd love for the layout to be more along what we would like, but I'm okay. And it's good. And so I'm, I'm trying to spend a lot more energy, a lot more time on being satisfied. So I want you to listen to the, these uh, couple of clips. So hope you enjoy it and uh, someone to consider. I'm not advocating that anybody goes out and follows them or anything else, but um, I somebody else used to be at the top of my list on who I'm listening to most now at this and somebody else will be there in six, 12 months. But right now in 2021, at this moment, it's Naval Ravikant. And here he is. So whatever happiness means to me, it means something different to you and it means something different to the listener. Um, but I think it's very important to explore what it is. And for some people, I know it's a flow state. For some people, it's satisfaction. Uh, for some people, it's a feeling of uh, contentment. Um, the best, it, my definition keeps evolving. Um, so the answer I would have given you a year ago would be different than what I tell you now. But today, I believe that uh, happiness is, uh, it's really a default state. It's what's there when you remove the sense that something is missing in your life. Uh, and we are highly judgmental survival and replication machines. We're constantly walking around thinking, I need this, I need that, trapped in the web of desires. And happiness is that state when nothing is missing. And when nothing is missing, your mind shuts down. And your mind stops running into the future or running into the past to regret something or to plan something. And then in that absence for a moment, you have internal silence. And when you have internal silence, then you are content and you're happy. Uh, I, I think people believe mistakenly, uh, and you know, feel free to disagree because again, it's different for everybody, but people believe mistakenly that happiness is about positive thoughts and positive actions. Um, but the more I've read, the more I've learned, the more I've experienced, because I verify this for myself, every positive thought essentially holds within a negative thought, it is a contrast to something negative. The Tao Te Ching says this more articulately than I ever could, but uh, it's all it's all duality and polarity. So if I say I'm happy, that means that I was sad at some point. If I say uh, he's attractive, then that means that somebody else is unattractive. So uh, every positive thought even has a seed of a negative thought within it and vice versa. Uh, which is why a lot of greatness in life comes out of suffering. You have to view the negative before you can aspire to and then appreciate the positive. So all of that said, long-winded, to me, happiness is not about positive thoughts. It's not about negative thoughts. It's about the absence of desire, especially the absence of desire for external things. Uh, and so the fewer desires I can have, the happier I can, or the more I can accept the current state of things, the less my mind is moving 
because the mind really exists in motion towards the future or the past, the more present I am, the happier and more content I will be. But if I latch onto that, if I say, oh, I'm happy now and I want to stay happy, then I'm going to drop out of that happiness because now suddenly the mind is moving, it's trying to attach to something, it's trying to create a permanent situation out of a temporary situation. Um, so happiness to me is mainly not suffering, not desiring, not thinking too much about the future or the past, really embracing the present moment and the reality of what is the way it is. Um, because nature has no concept of happiness or unhappiness. To a tree, there is no right or wrong. There is no good or bad. Uh, you know, Nature follows unbroken mathematical laws in a chain of cause and effect from the Big Bang to now. Um, and everything is perfect exactly the way it is. It's only in our particular minds that we're unhappy or not happy uh, and things are perfect or imperfect uh, because of what we desire. Uh, but I think I, I've also come to believe in the complete and utter insignificance of the self. Uh, and I think that helps a lot. Like, for example, if you thought you were the most important thing in the universe, then you would have to bend the entire universe to your will. Because if you're the most important thing in the universe, then how could it not conform to your desires? And if it doesn't conform to your desires, something's wrong. However, if you view yourself as a bacteria or an amoeba, or if you view all of your works as riding on water or building castles in the sand, then you have no expectation from how life should actually be. Life is just the way it is. Uh, and then you sort of accept that and you have no cause to be happy or unhappy. Those things almost don't apply. And what you're left with in that neutral state is not neutrality. I think people think, oh, that would be a very bland existence. No, this is the existence that little children live. And if you look at little children, on balance, they're generally pretty happy uh, because they're really immersed into the environment in the moment without any thought of how it should be given their personal preferences and desires. Uh, so I think the neutral state is actually a perfection state, uh, and one can be very happy as long as one isn't too caught up in their own heads. The first thing to realize is that you can actually observe your mental state. So just the, 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 the advantage of meditation is not that you're suddenly going to gain the superpower to control your internal state. It's that you will recognize just how out of control your mind is. It is like a monkey flinging feces that's running around the room, <laughs> making trouble, shouting, breaking things. It's completely uncontrollable. It's an out-of-control, mad person. Uh, and you have to see this mad creature in operation before you feel a certain distaste towards it, and you start separating yourself from it. And in that separation is liberation. When you realize that, oh, I don't want to be that person. Why am I so out of control? Just that awareness alone calms you down. Um, so there are, there are many techniques one can use. Another one, for example, that I think a lot of smart people say is if, if you're angry about something or if you get an unhappy email and you want to respond, don't respond for 24 hours, right? What does that do? It just, you, you're, you calm down. You the emotions subside, the hormones go down and your mental state, you're in a better mental state 24 hours later. So uh, I think people already know this. Um, but we just don't act on it because socially we're not conditioned to act on it. Socially we're told go work out, go look good because that's a multiplayer competitive game. Other people can see if I'm doing a good job or not, or we're told go make money, uh, go buy a big house again, external multiplayer competitive game. But when it comes to, uh, learn to be happy, train yourself to be happy, completely internal, no external progress, no external validation. 100% you're competing against yourself, single-player game. Uh, and we're such social creatures. We're more like bees or ants that we're externally programmed and driven 
that we just don't know how to play and win at these single player games anymore. We compete purely on multiplayer games. But the reality is life is a single player game. You're born alone. You're going to die alone. All your interpretations are alone. All your memories are alone. And you're gone three generations. Nobody cares. Before you showed up, nobody cared. It's all single player. I mean, all the real scorecards are internal. And, and the sad thing is, you know, we sit there like jealousy. Jealousy was a very hard emotion for me to overcome. Uh, when I was young, I had a lot of jealousy in me. Uh, and by and by, you know, I, 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 I learned to get rid of it. And it still crops up every now and then. But it's such a poisonous emotion because at the end of the day, you're no better off, you're unhappier, and the person you're jealous of is still successful or good-looking or whatever they are. But the, the real breakthrough was for me was when I realized at a, at a personal fundamental level. I mean, I, the problem with these kinds of podcasts is I can give glib answers all day long, but you have to discover your own personal answer because your personal answer is going to be different than mine and I'll speak to you. But the one that I discovered that spoke to me was the day I realized – that all of these people that I was jealous of, I couldn't just cherry pick and choose a little aspects of their life. I couldn't say, I want his body, I want her money, I mm. want uh, his personality. You have to be that person. Do you want to actually be that person with all of their reactions, their desires, their family, their happiness level, their outlook on life, their self-image? And if you're not willing to do a wholesale 24-7, 100% swap with who that person is, then there's no point in being jealous. I think that's a great so, way to look at it. Once I came to that realization, je jealousy sort of faded away because I don't want to be anybody else. I'm perfectly happy being me. And by the way, even that is under my control, to be happy being me. It's just there's no social rewards for it. But there's a lot of internal rewards. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's, it's almost anti-social rewards because when you're, when you're working on your inner stuff, People don't love that. <laughs> it's not they don't dislike it. Your friends, of course, support you, but they're not getting anything out of it. Uh, and even when I look at my own uh, peer group and to the extent that they're working on themselves, and, and everyone in their 40s at some level is, most of them are engaged in group activities. Hey, let's do a group meditation. Hey, let's go to this group event. Hey, let's go to this group lecture. And I keep coming back to this one line that I read, like everything I just read, but um, which was said, only the individual transcends. Nobody reaches enlightenment or, 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 or internal happiness or does serious internal work in group settings. Uh, it is a very lonely kind of task. Uh, and so to some extent, I think that people who are constantly looking for social affirmation in their internal work aren't that serious about it. What they're just, and it's fine. I'm not judging. But just they're craving more social interaction than they're really craving internal work. Thank you so much for listening. Are you getting my emails as well? Every week, I'm writing an article designed to strengthen your ability to lead others. Are you seeing these? If you're not, join the more than 5,000 people who are reading them. They've subscribed for free. Just go to RussHill.me. Start getting those weekly leadership articles at RussHill, my name, dot M-E. At that site, by the way, you can also learn more about my online courses and coaching sprints if you've got interest in that as well. RussHill.me.